Hello, everybody, and welcome to this latest episode of the Drum Network podcast. I'm senior reporter for tech at the Drum, Chris Sutcliffe. As I'm sure everybody is aware, live streaming took off in a huge way over the pandemic as everybody piled into streaming services to keep themselves interested, afloat, and sort of to really prioritize their own mental well being as we were all stuck inside. So, for influencers, for media organizations, for events, and for businesses, how have we grappled with that change in audience consumption habits? Which platforms should we see as being a sure bet and which new players are worth a look. Um, more importantly, though, what are the main opportunities on streaming? And I'm sure that everybody who's in the audience will want to get our guests' expertise on that. So what we'll do is we'll go around and we'll do a very, very quick introduction, if that's all right. Alex? I'm Alex, Executive Creative Director at Amplify. I'm responsible for the creative output of the business. Um, we're a global creative agency that specializes in experience and culture, very much a channel agnostic creative agency, and we look to build worlds and break formats around new and existing entertainment and experience properties. Perfect. Absolutely. Thanks so much for, for taking the time to come and have a chat. Tom, why don't we uh, leap to you next? Who are you and where are you from? Hello. Uh, great to be here. I'm Tom Jarvis. I'm the founder and CEO of an agency called Wilderness. We are a social first entertainment uh, agency working with brands like the BBC, uh, NBC Universal, Paramount Plus um, and others. My background is in film and TV, so I know this world pretty well. Um, and yeah, excited to chat about this. Um, I think it's a really interesting conversation to be having at this moment in time. Nice. Fantastic. And last but not least, Harry. Hi, I'm Harry. I'm an account director at VCCP Media. Um, we are an independent media agency within the VCCP group. Um, work across multi-channel campaigns, across variety of clients. Um, and uh, as uh, as Alex said, they were um, we are fiercely agnostic in terms of uh, media that we work with and the channels, and aim to deliver what we like to call media like it should be. Nice, very nice. So as the audience can tell, we obviously have a huge breadth and depth of expertise on the panel. So what we're going to do is we're going to get straight into it. And even though in the introduction I mentioned that, you know, we spoke about the pandemic and what happened then, we've seen significant changes in that streaming landscape even since then. So I think it's important that we set the context of this first. So Alex, to begin with, why have we seen the markets almost take another look at streaming platforms like Netflix uh, and really start to reappraise their worth in the wake of the pandemic. What are some of the underlying trends in terms of audience consumption habits that have driven that reappraisal? Yeah, I mean, obviously, everyone was sat at home for many, many months. So uh, the consumption consumption was naturally going to go up. Uh, and I think that reappraisal comes from a number of, of, of ways. I think craving um, engaging quality content, I think there is a lot of content out there and deciphering what resonates with people um, is a big thing. And I think there are, there are certain services that are doing it far better than others. Um, there's the, obviously the, the cost of living crisis we're facing where people are starting to make those uh, decisions based on their, on their finances. Um, I think also when you look at, you know, coming out of something like, like a, a pandemic, um, the experience economy, uh, it has its value again. People want to go out and experience things IRL again in real life in terms of stepping away from the screens a little bit um, and and sort of uh, opening up the world to new ways. I think there's there's some synergy with how cinemas have started to come to life as well. Both you know both cinemas and streaming rely on um, sort of uh, exclusive content, but obviously where a cinema uh, sort of takes it to the next level is, is that experience that you have, whether that be through having a hot dog with your film, comfy seats, et cetera. 
So the interesting thing is, I guess, how experience starts to play a part, perhaps, in streaming moving forward. Nice, fantastic. So, um, Harry, to what extent then do we think that some of the that reappraisal of what streaming services' purposes are and how audiences interact with them is driven by that regression to the mean hosts? You know, a completely unprecedented situation. Yeah, I think you know there's a lot of talk about uh, you know there's you know these big alarm bells going off. You know, Netflix lost however many um, million. I think it was only about a, what was it a million um, subscribers in the last uh, in the last quarter from. Q1, Q2 this year. Um, but, you know, as Alex said, we need to remember that people are no longer cooped up in their houses. People are now allowed to go outside. And, you know, the extent to which Netflix, um, just for instance, as um, one example, shot up uh, during the pandemic is um, absolutely huge. Um, so I don't think, um, you know, there needs to be, you know, there, there's going to be a huge amount of panic, mm. or should be a huge amount of panic from the, um, uh, from the streaming services. But I think, as we were saying, the whole, the cost of living crisis is something that's really going to have an impact. I think it's about sixty percent of people in the UK are now saying that you know they can't afford the you know the basics um, when it comes to cost of living. So something's going to have to give, really. And whether that's going to be um, you know streaming services or you know various forms of entertainment um, or anything else that you know people could potentially um, be living without. But I think the way that um, services and you know streaming services and apps are actually packaged as well is going to have a big impact on what people actually choose mm. um, you know for instance there's you know the new version media um uh offering that's um being recently put out that uh, VCP actually worked on um i believe it's called um the part of their hyped campaign um or their stream offering which essentially packages up um you know various different you know channels and apps within one package so you know that's going to be something you know as this whole landscape of streaming becomes much more um much more saturated a lot more players coming into the market you know mm. packages like that are going to be a bit more you know going to be seemingly more attractive people can uh you know really package um what they're getting into um into one neat cost um that's going to be something that's nice. surely going to become a lot more attractive Perfect. And uh, Tommy, you were sort of nodding along to that as well. Presumably that is how you see that space evolving as, you know, more competitors do enter that space. Yeah, I think <clears throat> I think there's two sort of consumer trends that I think Alex really sort of hit the nail on the head with, which is the cost of living crisis and um, and, and ultimately the sort of re-emergence of the experience economy. I think they're two things that will affect how streamers look at their potential adjustable markets. And then I think there's two sort of internal industry trends that are affecting how we sort of view streaming services and they view themselves. I think the biggest one is competition. Mm. Netflix for almost a decade has sort of sailed away on its own, um, much in the way that sort of Spotify did on in music. And now there's a plethora of choice. That's great for consumers, but that means that there's going to be challenges from a business perspective. And then I think the second one is ultimately the cost. And, and this has been driven by Netflix, but um, uh, really the cost of that production and the insurmountable sort of difference between the money they are spending on producing such large volumes of content mm. and then ultimately 
the game of trying to reduce churn as much as possible and keep keep consumers in their ecosystem. So I think it's a real challenging time. You know, I, I think to um, to Harry's point about Netflix, yes, they've only lost a million consumers, but I think they'll be looking at it and thinking we're spending a hell of a lot of the money um, uh, for for only a dwindling amount of people's attention. Um, mm. And I think that's their big challenge is that there are so many competitors and there are so many other ways for you to spend your time. See, you've you've all three of you teed up so many talking points now for the rest of the discussion. So it, thank you for that. I'm going to have to really dive in and try and pick <laughs> pick the ones that we have time for. But one thing that you've all mentioned there really is that kind of cost of living crisis. And I remember Future just did a report about consumer spending uh, for the rest of the year, and entertainment subscriptions were pretty high up that list of things that were going to be well that would potentially be cut if it came to it. And so, to what extent do we think that there is a space here for advertising based subscription services? And do we think that they're going to fulfil much more of a section of that market than, than they have in the past. I don't know who wants to take that first. Um, I'm happy to jump in. Um, yeah. I think, I mean, I was at Cannes when um, Ted Sarandos was, was talking about exactly this um, and talking about the, the sort of lower price subscription uh, for, for consumers. So obviously, you know, uh, in one, in one uh, light, it could be looked at, great, making Netflix more affordable, but then obviously you're going to be fed ads. But I guess what's interesting is, he talked about ensuring that in the same way that their algorithm um, ensures that you're being fed uh, content that's, that's relevant to you, that advertising model they seem to want to take is going to take that as well. So he gave the example actually of um, back in sort of the, the, the late 80s or, or 90s when you would purchase a VHS, quite often the brand ad that uh, preceded the feature film mm. would, the creative would be based on that ad. So there was a Pepsi Max one, which was uh, before the Top Gun VHS where you know, it was very much fighter pilots and Pepsi. There was another one around, uh, I think, Jurassic Park and Mercedes in, in line with the Jeeps that feature. So, um, you know, that's actually quite an old technique uh, and actually a really smart way, I think, of, of starting to uh, to feed into how Netflix could potentially advertise in a way that still feels creative and credible. So I think if that's the sort of approach, then that becomes, I think, more acceptable, more interesting. And I think consumers are open to it, especially if it does save them a few pounds a month. Um, rather than sort of dropping their subscriptions on on and off. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that was really interesting what you said about um, that idea of credibility um, with the ads, because I think, you know, as as media planners, um, you know, we've you know, we sort of said this for a while, you know, it, it's something's going to give with um, with the likes of Netflix. And, you know, we can see that obviously now they are talking about um, introducing that, um, that, ad, um, that ad funded model. Um, but I think, you know, the way that these, streamers work, you know, they are ultimately tech companies. They're not traditional broadcasters They, you know, they have, they started as tech companies and then they went into um, the likes of production. So I think the way that they work is going to be very different. They're going to want things to be a lot more slick. They're going to want things um, to be, you know, there's going to be certain restrictions on ad creatives and formats and how they fit in. Um, it's not going to be a case of just kind of, um, you know, put up whatever you like, uh, much yeah. in the way that you know, social networks have done in the past few years. So I think there's, um, yeah, there's going to be benefits to that because it's going to, you know, increase that um, that credibility of, you know, the brands that are on there um, in that really nice, attractive uh, looking looking way. Um, yeah, but I think it's something that was always going to, it was always going to go like that, I think. See, that's really interesting. We should come back to that. But before we come to you, Tom, for a sort of an insight on that, do any of you remember there was a um, an ad that appeared before the Alien 3 VHS that was um, the alien sort of attacking two kids and then they just gave it a Pepsi and it sort of just drank the can and then went away? That's what I want to see. I want to see that kind of yeah. quaint 
advertising for some of these services. That'd be amazing. Uh, so, Tom, yeah, do you the, think, um, oh, go on. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, I think the opportunity is there. And, and it, you know, I think if you think about sort of the, 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 the tentpole IP that Netflix has and the ways that they could, if they have access to the talent and actually starting that conversation early on in the process. So, I mean, I know Ozark's come to an end, but mm. if you had Marty, Marty Bird selling the MacBook he's always using in the, uh, in the show, or, you know, Stranger Things advertising itself uh, with, you know, all the, all, the, all the partnerships and stuff they do, but preceding their own show. Uh, it becomes quite an interesting sort of creative endeavor, I think. Yeah, definitely. To, as of the time of recording, two episodes left of Better Call Saul. If they want to sneak in a couple of advertisements in there, that'll be interesting. But Tom, do we think the audiences are ready for this or has the kind of the subscription-based nature of streaming to this point sort of, I suppose, presented an obstacle for anybody who wants to do ad-based streaming really well? Uh, I mean, I think ad-based streaming is is a, is is going to happen. I think the short answer is just is just yes. I think it's a, an inevitability. There was a recent study by Hub Entertainment that said fifty six percent of consumers would watch ad supported TV if it saved them money. Mm. Even among those who describe themselves as kind of intolerant of ads, thirty percent of those said they would choose an ad free support, an ad supported model if it saved them money. So I think ultimately the the, the there is a consumer desire for um, lower cost or or, or um, cheaper subscriptions based on this kind of ad supported model. I think the challenge, really, only for Netflix is that. As a brand, they've repositioned themselves very differently. I think to um, to Alex's point, you know, they were the first subscription service where you didn't have to watch adverts. I think there's mm. a study that says, you know, if you put your kids in front of Netflix, you're going to save 22 minutes of their of, of their viewing experience because they don't get consumed with adverts, and, and there isn't that kind of um, uh, nag need. Now, now other platforms do it, YouTube and others, right? So, so, so it is possible. But, but I think Netflix are in a really interesting position because I think they differentiated themselves from the rest of the entertainment industry through their product. And now through the realization that actually their product isn't a differentiator, um, they've got to make their content different. And and I actually think personally that that's a real challenge for them. They don't have the IP that that Disney does. Mm. They don't have Marvel. They don't have Star Wars. Yes, they have watchable shows. They have stuff that people really want to binge for a certain few weeks. But is that going to keep people on the hook for for a year every time, particularly when, you know, we're in a very lucky position in the UK that we have the BBC. Mm. Um, I mean, you know, I think the cost of living crisis is going to show the value of that service again and again and again, because I think these Subscription services are going to come under huge pressure to show why they're valuable. And I think the BBC will, in lots of cases, outstrip their need. So I think it's a real challenge for Netflix. Do I think it's going to happen? Yes. Um, I think it's a real opportunity, actually, for the newer, more legacy brands who are into this subscription place, um, because they're now going to be on a power with Netflix, right? If everybody's offering an ad-supported model, it's then going to be about your catalogue. Again, we talk about this kind of romanticised notion of, of the golden age of television. All the studies suggest that, actually, we watch... You know, the biggest shows on Netflix for years were reruns of Friends and um, and 90 shows. Why? Because Gen Zs watch TV um, uh, in a way that old people do. We watch it <laughs> as a comfort blanket, right? So this notion that we are all going out there and watching the latest, you know, greatest HBO show is yeah. just is, is just a bit of a fallacy. So I think actually there's 
legacy platforms that have got massively deep catalogs, I think we're in a really interesting place because I think that's super valuable for groups of friends who live together and also families. And I think that's a massive cohort of the country. So yeah, I, I, yeah, that's a long answer to, to the short answer, which was yes, and supporting <laughs> TP is, is definitely going to be here for all of us. That's a really good point. And I think it leads very neatly onto what we're going to be talking about next, which is the idea that maybe if the platforms themselves aren't the differentiator, we need to be looking at content. So to what extent do we think that exclusive content, um, you know, whether that be Marvel or Star Wars existing solely on Disney Plus, is the key, I suppose, point of contention or point of consideration rather for audiences? Harry, is that something that you think is still the big draw? I think the idea, I think the idea of um, you know content itself just being the draw, yes, that is a big part of it. But I think also how that's how these platforms choose to distribute that content. Obviously, we're seeing lots of different ways, particularly with you know with the streamers um, of how that is distributed, whether it's all released at once or whether it's uh, weekly. Um, Better Call Saul being uh, being a, a prime example. Oh, so I'm, good. I'm very it's excited so good. So excited. I was so nervous <laughs> for these last two episodes. Um, <laughs> but I suppose I think, the, yeah. the question I want to just, before we move on then, Harry, is do we think that those those temple programs, the you know, the exclusives, are a draw for people? And then once we get them in, it's, you know, as Tom mentioned, it's those other programs, that are kind of the, the evergreen content that is keeping them on board. How do we consider, you know, and, and I'll throw this open to everyone, actually, to what extent do we think that that is how we attract people to new streaming services versus keep them on? Is there a role for different types of content there? I think there definitely is. Um, you know, it's that idea, as, as you said, uh, Chris, you know, drawing people in and keeping them there. And I think that's where a lot of Netflix and Amazon's tech credentials are really going to come into things because, you know, they've got all this data. Obviously, they're not really releasing it, but they've got that data. They know what their users are doing. Um, and they can be very, very granular in working out, okay, what brings people in, what keeps them there, basically, and what's going to keep them on paying that monthly subscription. But I think, as I was saying about the way that the content is distributed, it's about how that buzz is built up. Because when we look at the actual content, um, whether that's on the likes of Netflix or Prime or even on linear TV, um, yeah, I think we shouldn't underestimate the power of big event programming um, and big event content. So, mm. you know, huge things like Stranger Things, Better Call Saul, or even on the other side of things, the likes of Love Island um, and live sporting events. Obviously, Amazon have recently tapped into that with an ad-supported model, quite interestingly. But I think being able to create and manufacture that buzz that you get um, from you know sharing that experience with the rest of the country, or even in this case, the rest of the world, is something that is going to be hugely important for uh, these streamers. And I think they're starting to work out how they crack that, and mm. whether that comes with releasing everything at once or doing everything week by week, so they can start building up that buzz. But you know, you look at the likes of you know Love Island, for instance. You know, there's still that shared experience. It's had the um, I think the highest ratings. Um, Final this year had the highest rating since 2019. So that's really drawing in that younger audience, which is that, you know, the, from a media perspective, is a really expensive audience to buy. Mm, um, mm. And I, we've got this idea that, oh, you know, everyone's streaming, everyone's on their phones, everyone's self curating their content that they that they view every day. But I think is that, I think it's that Bill Burnback quote where he says, you know, it took millions of years for us, for our instincts to develop. It's going to take millions more for us even to vary. Um, I think there's still that gathering around the fireside um, instinct within us that's um, evolved over 
hundreds of millions of years that's going to actually draw us to that um to that big event tv and <laughs> there's going to there's still there's still going to be um you know opportunities for advertisers and brands around that whether it's sponsorship or ads you know love island yeah. um you know we recently worked with them on um on o2 as as the nice. main uh, network sponsor for that and you know that grew in that audience and it was relevant as well with the new share your clogs campaign we've been running for them it really drew in as well so nice. that drew in that um that relevance. I do love the idea as well that you could have potentially the you know the ancient Greeks who were sat around a fire looking out over these wine dark seas could have charged a subscription service you know so that people could come and listen to the so you know to the Odyssey yeah. or whatever that would have been fantastic. There is that important distinction between the the binge the binge model and then the episodic weekly release that sort of old school model because it sort of reengages that water cooler discussion moment really drives like social conversation and stuff on that weekly moment and you you avoid that sort of awkward. I know in the office we're always like. Who's watching what? Have you seen this episode? Basically, if you're watching it episodically, everyone's kind of at the same spot and it takes you back to that that shared, I guess, round the fire moment uh, that Harry's referencing. And I think each, and I've got to be careful here because we actually work with pretty much most of the, the streaming services, but <laughs> I, I feel like each one plays a slightly different role within, within, within the sort of exclusive content that's available to people. And I think, you know, when you look, at, again, to reference uh, what Sarandos said, uh, um, Can, he talked about variety, not volume. Um, which is interesting because I think a lot of people find with Netflix that there's just, you sit there and you can just like, like scroll through so much stuff, even if it's stuff that's recommended to you, it's, it's not quite there, but I think some of that, um, you know, those, those hero, hero shows are certainly, uh, things that people binge on. Then I think if you look at what, um, I think Apple plus is creating, I mean, they've really doubled down on the like extraordinary quality of, of their show making, uh, which I think is incredible. And I think it, it, it again, uh, brings in a different, different form of, of entertainment. And then you've got, I know we don't really get it over here, but HBO Max, they've just um, acquired a huge library of A24's films and A24 being, you know, ultimately pretty much the only uh, sort of film distribution company that you could consider a brand in its own right. Incredible at getting its its audiences really close to their IP and their films. And it just feels like a really smart move by HBO to, to, to team up with a studio essentially rather than, you know, exclusively, exclusively having to focus on their own content. It's like, how can they give their audiences um, films and television that they know their audiences relate to? I suppose then building on that, because we're talking about partnerships there, what do we think about those potential types like Shudder, which is the kind of the very specific horror streaming service has with, say, Amazon Prime? Or I think Amazon Prime actually has a bunch, Prime Video rather, has a bunch of their kind of the anime channels on there as well to kind of cater for those specific audiences, but they're additive to the wider Prime subscription. Is that going to be something that we see, you know, kind of the big dominant streaming platforms make a play for is those kind of those niche audiences who are super invested in a type of content, but who might necessarily have to go elsewhere to try and find that. Are we going to see them try to buy up services like Shudder? What do we reckon? Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, to jump in on that, I think, um, I think those niche audiences are super important, right? And I think it's about sort of thinking about a everyone ultimately is going to want to get to the place of aggregation. Like Apple TV, to Alex's point, have done a great job at trying to become that place where it is your home for TV or entertainment and and then you subscribe to, to the services uh, that you want within it. Uh, and I think that's a really interesting model and an interesting play. I think to the question before about is it content that is going to be the differentiator, I think actually... 
what we're going to start to see is platforms think about their product and think about how their product differentiates. And and, and to mm. Alex's point, I think Apple TV have probably been the only one that started to really do this. Amazon are doing it in a slightly different way because they're bundling everything into that prime experience. And if you know if you're a family, that also that's going to become quite difficult to to to, to get away from or unsubscribe from because you're going to be baked into to so much uh, other stuff. Um, but and then I also think there's a really interesting play here around. The bits that haven't that are still working on broadcast, and I think there's only two things that really still naturally lend themselves to to broadcast viewing, and that's news and live sport. And we're starting to see both of those areas become really attractive for streamers. And I think um, you know Netflix talked for a long time about never getting into live sports, and yet just in the last couple of months they've been talking about um, getting into F1 and potentially buying some rights in F1. Amazon are already there, and I think they're going to make some serious plays for the Premier League rights uh, over the next couple of years. That's been a real uh, a real high point for them. And I think live news, once we bake that into our experience, I think there's no reason why that can't become something that we consume um, uh, within a streaming platform. So I think if you're looking at like any of the programming or talent around there, I think that's just going to explode. So, but I think the challenge that they've got technologically is to Alex's point, I I think the thing that they struggle with is uh, all of these platforms is actually they don't know their audience that well. You know, we hear all this great stuff about Netflix's algorithm. I've never been, I've never been suggested a show that that actually really made me watch it. And yet, if you think about the sort of signal liquidity that goes on with a TikTok, it's a completely different platform, right? You are being served something that is very, very nichely targeted mm. towards you, and that you that they know very precisely that you're going to watch. So, I think Netflix and all of the streamers, from an attention point of view, have got a real challenge on their hand because they don't have the volume of signals that they need to really algorithmically win a battle of your attention if you mm. when you're thinking about that against any other platform that's potentially on your mobile or, or or on your TV now so so i think there's a challenge around what what other stuff can they grab mm. tv content and i think that's news and live sport that's very expensive and hard to do right so i think they've got a challenge there and then i think their second challenge is once all of this content becomes available in different places and we have to start making consumer decisions ultimately the ones that win are going to be the ones that give us something additional from a technology from a technological point of view mm. and so i think they've got to find ways to curate service content that really feels individual to us i want to be able to go to a streaming platform and it know that for the five favorite shows that i've just watched and really said with some contextual stuff about characters about moments mm. i really liked like all of that stuff that isn't serviced i feel like is a real opportunity I, was, I think that the point around um live sports is really interesting and i think uh when you think about how certainly netflix and, and probably a lot of the other platforms have treated things like sport it's it's treated it more as like an avenue for great storytelling. So if you think about Drive to Survive, mm. it's bringing in, you know, F1 fans in that way, but, but, but creating that growth of interest through the storytelling. And same with, you know, all the, I think Man City did the first football documentary one, but then the Sunderland have done it. Everyone's done it since. And I think, you know, that feels like a bit of a journey ultimately to, to get into those, that, that live sports moments, but cultivating and, and associating themselves with those interests before creating essentially greater access to them in a, in a live, um, live situation, I think is, 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 uh, is an, is, is, as, uh, as Tom was saying, I think it's, it's something we're going to start seeing. Yeah. I think Alex, that idea as well about 
live sports um, and you know how easy that is to do on a streaming service. It's obviously production wise, it's you know it's a huge undertaking. But I think, as you were saying, Alex, it's a lot of it is about how these streamers can really add value to um, the, the sport audience, whether they're showing the actual live events or not. I thought it was really interesting during the Six Nations um, recently when Amazon uh, was showing quite a few of those games and you could actually, on the actual platform, go and select various highlights here. You could see this try by that team or you could see just that one. And actually, I think that really ties in that idea of, okay, how do we actually add value to uh, the live events? And I think that, to your point, Alex, Alex about, um, you know, those, uh, you know, those specials, the drive to survive, um, and all those types of um, other content that really draw those people in. It's how do they, um, how do they, yeah, how are they adding that value beyond just the actual event itself? And I think that's something that, you know, we've seen in a way with with YouTube quite a lot um, in the way that you know they'll they'll may show in some ways the core content, but then there's also a lot of other sort of snippets and things behind the scenes or whatever that might be or highlights um, that people might be looking for um on um on the likes of youtube and i think they're really tapping into that of okay how can we show the actual event but how can we actually add value to that as well and so uh, i'm afraid that we are coming to the end of this discussion we could have spoken about this for i would happily have spoken about this for hours and not just because of how much i love burkles all but one final question i want to ask everybody is for one prediction about where we're going to see the kind of the streaming uh, TV industry go over the next couple, and movies too, over the next couple of years. Is it going to be, as we've seen with Netflix, that kind of broadening out in terms of content? They've just launched their sort of a games division. You know, they've got Into the Breach on there. They've got Point P, Game of the Year. Um, uh, or is it going to be that kind of the rise of the ad-supported network? What would be some of your biggest predictions for uh, for streaming, Alex, if we start with you? Oh, I know, yeah. <laughs> Sorry to put that on you. No worries. I mean, yeah, look, you called out gaming and it's the biggest industry in the world. I think it's it's a natural step. Um, Netflix already is obviously moving into that space uh, to, to capture that audience. I think to kind of put it in a slightly different, maybe through a different lens and, and try and give you a uh, an idea of, of what could come, which isn't around that and maybe some of the stuff that, that is out there that people are talking about. I do think if you look at the Disney plus model of building out universes and world building around their existing IP, whether that's Marvel and all the TV shows they're doing and moving into animation with that, whether it's star Wars and all the TV shows that they're generating and um, kind of creating that just consistency of experience for, for consumers across those worlds. I think you, you, you look at what um, other streamers could do and probably are doing within that. So again, even like, I mean, Amazon Prime's biggest show, The Boys, or it might not be their biggest, I personally think it's the best. You know, again, they're, they're, they they did an anime off the back of that. Um, I'd be amazed if there isn't more spin-offs and, and stuff back of it. Even The Grey Man that came on Netflix recently, people are talking about the Grey Man universe essentially to come from that. So I think um, I think we're certain, I think there's a, there's a massive appetite for uh, uh, universe building and world building. Audiences love diving into those worlds, exploring sort of maybe uh, left field and fan favorite characters in their own shows. I think there's some bad examples of it. There's some very good examples of it. And Mandalorian has done very well. Boba Oof, Fett, maybe not good. so much within it. Yeah, yeah Mandalorian's very good. Oh, I can't um, wait for it to come back. Yeah, and I, and I, I think I think we'll, we'll probably start to see that. I think you've got, I mean, with Paramount Plus, HBO, um, they've all got their own IPs and worlds to, to go into like Paramount obviously have like Transformers and, mm -hmm. and things like that. I mean, off, I wouldn't be surprised off the success of Top Gun Maverick 
um, which again, if anyone hasn't seen that, it's like unbelievable. Real um, recommendations led podcast. This one, huge recommendations. Just endless talking about the stuff we love. Yeah, I think you know I wouldn't be surprised if they released like a TV show called like Top Gun Flight School or something and yeah. sort of build out from that. So I think I think the, I think the idea of, of world building and universe building around IP could be something that we're going to start to see more of. Nice, fantastic. And Harry, where would you say we're sort of looking to see the industry move in the next couple of years? I think ultimately we need to bring it back to the idea of revenue and how they are going to these streaming services are these streaming services are going to make money for their shareholders, really. And whether that's going to come from subscribers or traditional advertising in the way that we know it now, or whether it's going to be broaded. Oh, sorry, can I start again? Yeah, yeah, no worries. Um, I'll go back to start now. Um, Ultimately, I think it comes down to a commercial conversation. It's how are these streaming services going to make money for their shareholders? Holders, because that's you know that's going to be the bottom line at the end of the day, and whether that's going to be from subscription or traditional advertising um, as we've sort of known it, or whether that's going to come from broader branded partnerships. And I think it's interesting what Alex was saying about creating these worlds and creating these experiences beyond uh, the actual content. I think it's going to be very difficult for the likes of Netflix and Prime to really create the equivalent of a Super Bowl spot. Um, in in the near future, so it's going to be about changing up the landscape of what we know as branded entertainment and you know brand integrations with entertainment, whether that's through traditional advertising or product placement or whatever that might be. But I think ultimately that's what's really going to drive things. So I think we're going to see a real shift in what we know to be and what what we perceive to be advertising on these platforms i think it's going to go broader than just spot and space um, like we have now nice fair enough and tom we've given you the unenviable position of going last in a topic <laughs> and a predictions question so yeah is there anything that you think we're still missing when we think about streaming and tv over the next couple of years no i i would add to alex's point i think this kind of world building um notion is a really interesting one i think Broadening that out into experiences. So if you think about Disney going into, I want a Disney Plus pass with my parks membership mm. and, and I want access to the first look of um, products. Um, I, I think you're going to start to see IP be really being stretched and these streamers seeing their place within entertainment more broadly, you know, Amazon integrating Twitch more closely and really getting into that gaming space and seeing that appear on your on your Amazon profile. Like, I think there's lots. Somebody's got to acquire Spotify at some point just because I really want that to happen. Um, <laughs> I, I'd love it to be Netflix because I think that's an awesome entertainment bundle. Um, so I think there's lots to do with, like, where these worlds could go and where IP could go in terms of not just film and TV content, but more broadly, as if we think about entertainment, um, whether that's music, gaming, um, or, or physical experiences. And then I think more broadly within the industry, sorry, I know I'm uh, probably running over time, but I think the key industry thing, as boring as it sounds, is more consolidation. Mm. I think these the, these brands are going to get bigger and bigger. You know, we're seeing it with with Warner's and Discovery. I, I don't think that's the end of it. I think you're going to start to see a, a number of these big streaming services start to roll up. Um, ultimately, we're going to, you know, I think we're going to end up with three or four, um, and I think they're going to be massive, um, and they're going to give you 
a whole load of uh, of content, both um, uh, archive content or, 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 or uh, filler content, as well as the kind of new stuff. So I think there's going to be loads more cons- uh, consolidation in the market. I think you're going to end up with two or three, maybe four mm. sort of key players. We're, we're not going to be in a place, I, I don't think, in 18 months to 24 months where you've got seven or eight to choose from. I just don't think that's a reality. Consumers are going to migrate around two or three services. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see who goes where and, and how that shapes the experience. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Alex, Tom, Harry, thank you so much for coming on the Drum Network podcast and sharing your expertise on this. I know it's something that I would have happily spoken about for hours. I know it's something that the audience will have enjoyed a lot as well. So we'll get you back in a couple of months, years to see how that's all shaken out. But for now, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. And to everybody who's listening, please do go to thedrum.com where we write about TV, the future streaming pretty regularly. Uh, We have that as dedicated section. So anything you want to sort of learn about that or anything you want to do a deep dive into, please do head across to thedrum.com. But for now, thank you so much for listening. Thank you again to my guests and goodbye. Goodbye.